Jesus, I just thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you uh, for each of these students, Lord. Thank you for how amazing they are and how precious they are to our ministry, Jesus. And I just ask that you continue to equip them, Jesus, that uh, you would continue to build the foundation, Lord, for for um, their great small group leading ahead, Jesus. Would uh, you build conviction tonight, Lord? Uh, would you build the conviction of community, God, one of the most beautiful things in our ministry, Jesus? And will you continue to show them, God, the uh, how you want community, God, not how we want it or the world wants it, but how you want us to love one another, Jesus, and to, to build a godly kingdom and a godly community, God, at CSU, Jesus. In your name, amen. Cool. I'm excited to talk tonight about community. So how many of you do you think are sitting here because you were impacted by community? (laughs) So obviously community um, is a super uh, important, obviously, a super important way to get people here where, where you guys are now. Um, man, for me, community was everything. You know, uh, of course, your small group leader is important and is a very, um, I don't know, specific role in your life. But you also have beyond the small group leader. You have the village, you know, of Outpost. You have other small group leaders. You have your small group leader's roommates. You have um, your small group peers in your small group, you know. So you have just uh, people around you all of the time influencing you. And um, for me, my small group members became some of my best friends. Um, I remember my small group leaders' roommates were a big deal in um, my life. My small group leaders' roommate was the maid of honor in my wedding. And um, I mean, I have amazing memories. I mean, I remember when I was so close to giving my life to the Lord, and I was just crying and trying to figure out life. And, and um, I remember there was like um, all my roommates or all my small group leaders roommates and then their boyfriends were over and they all just huddled me and like prayed over me and like just spoke so much truth to me. And I'll never forget that moment. It was like I felt like I wasn't alone. You know, I felt like, oh, there are people like more than just Amanda, my small group leader, like actually really trying, you know, like fighting for me and trying to get me to understand um, God's love. You know, and it's just such a beautiful um, picture of Christ in the church. You know, we are, as a body, supposed to represent the church. And so um, I want us to have this huge conviction to make our community um, godly and, and just a big deal. Um, you know, um, it's funny, like, I, I feel like as a ministry and as a newish ministry, coming here and being in ministry and learning all about what it takes to run a ministry, you know, as a whole, like there's an administration part and there's, um, you know, a one-on-one like discipleship kind of part and large group and, you know, there are all these like different like, you know, things, areas of our ministry that we try to do well, you know, and of course, you know, there's always room for growth and we're always trying to pray about the direction we should take for all of these areas. But the one thing that we need to do, and if we don't do it, then it results in death of our ministry or, or of our community is if we don't love one another. You know, if we love one another, we um, will be okay, you know? <laughs> if, if there's one thing we should have right, if there's one thing we should have right out of anything, you know, like otherwise, it would be to love one another because we can grow from that and we can grow in wisdom from that. 
Um, so, so like Psalm 133 says, it is both good for good and pleasant um, to, sorry, oh, my computer froze. Okay. Yeah, okay, sorry. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So it is both good and pleasant. So it's, you know, a lot of times there are things that are good for you but aren't pleasant, you know, like Dylan loves ice cream, which because it's pleasant, but it's not good for you. Like, broccoli's good for you, but it's not pleasant. <laughs> but community is both good for you and pleasant. And so that's something, I mean, we should love community. We should have so much joy in community. Um, we should we should desire that. We should want that. We should. You guys should be dreaming about the community that you guys are going to have in your small groups. And I mean, we'll we'll talk more about that. But yeah, um, it is the greatest thing that people here can gain. You know, a lot of you probably came here to college and were like, "Man, uh, hope I make a couple of friends." You know, but then you find this community. You know, you find the family of God. You know, and who knew that you guys would not only gain a couple of friends, but you guys actually gain a, gain a family. You know, you, you gain Christ's family um, coming here. And so that's what we have to offer um, our students. Which one are you on? Oh, I haven't started that yet. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in the end of Psalm 133, it says, For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And he's talking about community. So when we love one another, he commands and bestows a blessing. You know, and I don't know if you guys remember, I Spencer talked about it last week, Acts 2, the end of Acts 2, where it's talking about the, the church being built, the community being built, and how, like, every day there was more added unto them. And it was because they were in this tight fellowship, this tight community of people. They were, they were selflessly giving to one another. I mean, they were breaking bread together. They were sharing meals. They were doing everything together. And because of that, the Lord blessed them so much by adding to their church. And so I believe that if we act like Acts 2, you know, if we really are like that for one another, more will be added to us daily. I really believe that, that Jesus bestows that blessing on us. Um, so what does the Bible say about um, this, about, about one another? Um, you know, I um, was listening to a sermon by my old pastor, Eli Gotro, who's at St. Houston State, and he challenged people, and I want to challenge you guys now, to do a study in the Bible of scriptures that say one another. So if you guys look how many scriptures, especially in the New Testament, that say something, something, one another, there's like a ton, like so many. I mean, the, you know, if I could just think of something like submit to one another, wash one another's feet, you know, encourage one another. It actually says encourage one another 15 times. So when was the last time you guys each deliberately encouraged someone, you know? It says 15 times to encourage one another, so we need to be doing that. Um, you know, uh, so many times it says over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another, uh, forgive one another, um, honor one another, um, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, <laughs> talk about that later. <laughs> but yeah, and, and so I just encourage you guys, like, you know, look at all of those scriptures, write them down, and that'll tell you exactly how to be in community and what to do with one another. Um, it's obviously really important, and God cares about that. 
Um, let's see. Yeah, I think the key to um, a dead church, <laughs> a dead resource group, a dead small group, is when um, there's not that that one anotherness happening. You know, they're not serving one another. They're not loving one another um, in a radical way. You know, and uh, if you guys want to have healthy small groups, you really need to, off the bat, as soon as possible, make that the culture. The culture is we're going to do anything for each other. We're going to do anything for one another. Um, if someone needs, you know, if someone's super stressed out and doesn't want to, you know, eat, we'll make them meals, you know, or something. Or um, if they need a ride, we'll give them rides, you know. That needs to be the culture off the bat. And you guys are the example of that. And so you guys need to be looking at your life now and, and, and ask, like, have I been serving my small group? Have I been doing this one anotherness <laughs> with, with my girls? And, I mean, right now is great practice for you guys to do that. Um, so how do we do community right? John 3, 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So also you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then, um, sorry, you know the next slide now. <laughs> so it says, our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. Um, and I love Francis Schaeffer talks a lot about this too. Um, Andrew Murray talks a lot about it, but so does Francis Schaeffer about um, we have this mark as a Christian. You know, like there are lots of things that can mark us as people, you know, and especially as Christians, you know. Oh, that person doesn't drink, you know, but, but it's like, no, what really should, like, make the mark, the badge, what should be our, like, huge badge of Christianity, you know, and the mark of that needs to be this, that we love God because of our everyday fellowship with one another, because of the love we are displaying with one another, and that demonstrates our love for God. So, you know, you can, I mean, can you imagine if someone was like, oh, yeah, I love God, but then treated their people so bad, like treated people around them so bad, and, and um, I mean, that just wouldn't, wouldn't make sense, you know, but um, I want you to know that, like, loving one another, it's okay if it takes work, um, you know, I don't know how, I'm sure all of you guys have siblings, yeah, yeah. and you know sometimes it's hard <laughs> to love them, <laughs> you know, Eli Gotro talks about his brother a lot in a lot of his sermons about how they just never got along and they would just like fight each other, like punch each other, like and they would sucker punch each other and like do all this crazy stuff. I'm like, man, that's like terrible. <laughs> like, like that's not like good of what you should be doing with your brother and sister, you know? But like what's funny about that is if you think about the Bible, I mean look at Cain and Abel, you know? Yikes, like murder. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, in John 7, they talk about how, like, they didn't believe in Jesus, you know, and thank God, like, Jude and James came around, but, you know, even, like, those relationships are, like, not, you know, it's, like, really sad, and so sometimes it might not be natural to, um, to want to put others before yourself, you know, that's a, that's a little death, you know, you're dying to your needs to serve others' needs, you know, so, um, you know, you have to put a lot of energy into 
this one anotherness. You know, it, it's not just going to be like, oh, it'll naturally happen. No, you have to come up with, with um, you have to be creative. You have to put a lot of time and, and effort in and, and just thinking about these things, you know. And that's why it's good we're talking about them now because you have all summer to write things down and, and to have, you know, all these ideas. And so, um, yeah, in Galatians 6.2 it says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Just crazy. We can fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so all this stuff is really simple to talk about, you know. I could just come up here and be like, love one another. And you're all like, yeah, let's do it. And then, but then, you know, you guys can, like, walk out and then it, like, doesn't happen, you know. And so it's, it's so simple to talk about. And, I mean, our world talks about it, you know, like, love one another, love one another, love one another. But how do we really love one another? Like, we really, it, it, like what I said, it takes effort. So um, we have these things called Four C's of Fellowship. And um, these are just um, some Chi Alpha convictions that we've come up with. And um, each of these are so, so crucial to um, a healthy small group, to healthy fellowship. Um, man, take this for your houses and your roommates, you know? Like, live by this and be like, yes, I'm gonna do this in my house, you know? Um, yeah, with resource group, like this, all this stuff needs to uh, be a big deal to us. And so um, I'm kind of going to go through these and kind of explain them and we'll go through them. So first one is common understanding. It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Um, have you guys like, um, I don't know, I'm sure when you guys first started, you know, freshman year, you guys might have met like a couple of friends and you were like, oh, you like pizza? I like pizza. Like, you know, like, oh, you sleep in? I sleep in. Like, you know, oh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian, you know? And, and that's like as far as it goes for a while. And then the more you spend time with them, the more you realize, oh, wait, maybe we're not the same, you know? Like, you, you live your life this way. I live my life this way. I have these kinds of morals. You have these kinds of morals, you know? Or, um, you know, you you're pretty extrovert, I'm pretty introverted, you know, and, and the, the more you get to know someone, either the deeper it goes or the further apart it goes, you know, and as you guys are continuing to walk with Jesus, you guys are always going to be changing. You guys are going to be changing, um, and y'all are going to be looking more and more like Jesus, like more and more like Jesus, which is going to be, it's awesome, and it's right, <laughs> but at times um, it's hard because you want to you want to find those people that get you, you know, like not just on like a, oh, you like this stuff, so do I, but on a, on a, on a depth level, you know, like you want to go deep. Um, you want to find, um, you know, and this is just for friendships. I mean, you want to find people who love Jesus and want to serve Jesus no matter what the cost is. You know, um, man, I think about like, I remember meeting Hannah Hendrickson last year and she was 18 when I met her, and I was like, I just remember hanging out with her for the first time, and all she talked about was Jesus. Do you ever hang out with those people? There's some people you hang out with, and it's, like, kind of hard to hang out with them. Like, not hard in a, you know, like, it's fine, but you guys just talk about, like, stuff that, like, doesn't really matter. But then you hang out with people, 
and you're, you're just like, man, I, was, I read this in the Bible. Isn't that crazy? Or like, man, Jesus just like taught me this. Isn't that awesome? And like, I mean, me Hannah Henderson was like that. She's like, wow, oh, Jesus is telling me all this stuff. And I was like, it's awesome. You're only 18. And so it was, um, you know, I think about that with so many. I think about with you, Ellie. Like, I feel like that's so sweet. Like, when I spend time with you, we can just talk about the Lord and have fun. And it's wonderful. You know, I think about that with like Jessamine. You know, Jessamine has become one of my best friends because we have this like deep common understanding. Um, you know, it's that I remember, um, oh yeah, Nate talked about this on Friday. You know, like the face-to-face versus the side-to-side, you know. When you come side-by-side side with someone, there's nothing better, you know, than like fighting for a common purpose together, you know. And so that's why resource group is so sweet and being with fellow small group leaders is so sweet because you are walking side-by-side side with them for the common purpose of reaching the campus, you know? And so there's just something sweet. There's just like a bond there. And what's amazing is that when you build your small group, you're gonna continue building that. Your goal is to get people to have a common understanding. You know, this common understanding of, I live my life for Jesus, you know? Like, my life revolves around around Jesus. And so, I mean, it takes time, but, but that's the goal. You know, the goal is for you all to have this common understanding of, of how to live for Jesus. Um, so yeah, like what can help with this common understanding? One thing um, I think is a big deal is praying together. Like there's no sweeter unity than prayer. Uh, oh, I have, yes. Uh, nothing tends to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. And I just, I mean, I can totally, yeah, say that this is true. <laughs> There's, I mean, I love our time together as a staff because we have this sweet common understanding and we're just able to um, pray, you know, for all the same things together and just, just have this, like, common bond together. Um, and I really feel like that just comes in prayer. So please, 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 if I can just tell you anything, make prayer just such a big deal in your small groups because nothing's going to unify better than, than praying with one another. Um, another thing, like read together, you know, um, read even outside of small group together, you know, be like, hey, I'm reading this book. Like, isn't it, it's so awesome. Like, you guys should read it and, you know, have them read it and they'll grow from that. Um, read the same books in the Bible. Be like, man, I'm going through John. You want to go through John with me and talk about him? Um, you have to share your convictions and your values. Like, you just have to do that. Of course, it should be displayed in your life, but, but you know, definitely um, say them. Say what, what has shaped your values in, in your life. I mean, values come from experience, you know? So be like, because I've experienced this, I have this conviction about the Lord, you know? Like, like I have a conviction that um, every believer should be passionate for the Lord, you know? Like, everyone should be passionate. And why do I have the conviction? Because my small group leader was like that, you know? And she got me to love Jesus because she was so passionate, you know? And that's why I feel like we should all be passionate, you know? Um, like, different things like that. Um, yeah, your goal is to disciple um, convictions and values and to teach them how to walk with God on their own, you know? Um, that that's also comes from common understanding is when they see how sturdy and how, um, when they, they look at your life and see um, all, all that you, <laughs> I don't know, 
basically the time that you spend with Jesus, you know, like your devil life. And when they see every aspect of your life, they want to imitate that, you know, but make sure that you are giving them everything they need to be equipped to walk with God on their own. Um, yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. Common unselfishness. So, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up from his heart, shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then go to the next quote. It's actually from William Shakespeare. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Um, I feel like we all like just naturally admi admire um, selflessness, you know, like we love movies where like someone dies for someone or like, I give my life to you, you know, guys in the two woman or something. Uh, or like, you know, like war or military movies, you know, because they're like in battle together and they're just like together. And like, I don't know what, it makes it so sweet. Like selflessness is, um, is not, yeah, not natural, you know, like what I said earlier, it's just not natural, and it is a choice, but um, I feel like it, it's just such a, I don't know, it's like such a big deal. Like, you guys have to have that conviction of selflessness. You have to display that. You have to display that. If you guys aren't now, you need to start doing it, you know, figure out how you can serve one another. Um, you know, I think... Uh, there are two things that kill community, and that's selfishness and pride. You know, selfishness is like a me-first attitude, and pride is like, a, like an I'm-better-than-you attitude. You know, um, yeah, let me, let me read this scripture. It says, it, this is Philippians 2.3. I don't have this in the slide. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Um, man, that's so good. That's Philippians 2.3. And it's probably more than just three, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, that kills community. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard this quote. We say it a lot, but it's not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that's true humility. And I think, man, no, no one displays that better than Jesus. You know, Jesus was the greatest, but the least at the same time. He made himself, and that's what it says in Philippians, you know, he like lowered himself, became nothing, so that we could be elevated. Um, and that is what a true leader is, you know. If I could rename you guys from small group leaders, I would call y'all small group servants, you know, <laughs> because you guys are not, I mean, by a, you guys being a leader, you guys are serving. You guys are a servant. That's, that's what it means to lead. lead. To lead is to serve. <laughs> and so um, you guys need to think about how you can do that. Um, and how, how can we fight selflessness? Um, I think the best way I've seen is be a giver. Like just be a giver. Like, are you, not, are you a giver right now? <laughs> you know, are you quick to buy someone's meal or 
Um, you know, if anyone inconveniently asks for a ride, are you quick to say yes and just help them out, you know? Um, man, the, I don't think there's anything that speaks more than just, you know, the giving, the selflessness, you know? I mean, I, perfect, you know, example, like this summer, Brent and I really needed a van because we have children and people that we take around all the time and our caliber was getting very tight and, um, and we, we really, really wanted a van but had no money for it. And um, I mean, and it was welcome week time and me and Hannah Hendrickson were driving back from campus and I was like, man, Hannah, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus just parked a van in my driveway and just left the keys and it's just mine. <laughs> I know that like I mean it was like maybe an hour later a van drove into my lawn not my and um, there was like a ton of people in it like Dylan and like a bunch of people and um, yeah Zach if you get there and yeah it was amazing because a bunch of people gathered some money for us and got us a van and it was like I mean come on it's like so awesome like I mean what kind of community does that, you know? One that loves Jesus, you know? And so um, it's just amazing that now we have God's van in our driveway, <laughs> you know, that we get to give all of your rides in, you know? It's wonderful. <laughs> so be a giver, guys. Be a giver. I mean, man, like, just dream about that with your small group. How can you guys be givers? How can you guys radically give? Um, how can you guys bless the people in your group now. How can you guys bless your small group leaders? You know, I um, In Matthew twenty five forty says, "Anything you do for your brother or sister, you do unto me." So we do it for Jesus. <laughs> you know, we're not. I think a lot of times we we easily can give to people who we think deserve it. You know, like like oh, this person has really like is really a good person, so they deserve it. You know, but like. Man, anything we're doing, we're doing to Jesus, you know? So, like, don't, don't like, um, value or, uh, I don't know, equate your giving with, like, who you think deserves it, you know? Because, like, none of us deserve salvation, and we have salvation, you know? Um, and so everything we do, like, give to the hardest people. Give to the people that you don't think deserve it, you know? Because everything we're doing, we're not doing it unto them or unto ourselves. We're doing it for Jesus, and so, just a reminder. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay, let's move on to the next one. So, constant forgiveness. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That is, yeah, that is so true. Because <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> um, but I want, <laughs> I want you guys to just like feel the weight of that. Like feel the weight of that. Like you guys cannot come to the altar <laughs> until you're right with your brother or sister. That's, that's how important forgiving each other is. I mean, what better way to display the cross and, and what Jesus has done than forgiving one another, even when we think like they don't deserve it. Oh, do I have another? Do I have a quote? Yes. The next one? Yes. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Unforgiveness kills, guys. I mean, it kills community. When you are not right with each other, it kills. Um, and I just, yeah, want to just speak to you guys directly. If any of you guys are dealing with any hurt, please, please deal with it. Um, we have this, I'll show you. We have this thing called the hurt circle. And it's just so important, so I'm just gonna show it to you. So first you start with like hurt. Sorry, my handwriting's terrible. And then let's say you don't deal with the hurt, you just still have the hurt. Then it turns into unforgiveness. Let's say you don't deal with the unforgiveness. Then it turns into bitterness. And bitterness is awful because it's, it's like it's rooted, you know? It has roots. <laughs> and then if you don't deal with bitterness, then it leads to rebellion. And then if you go outside of that, <laughs> it just leads to complete selfishness because it, you're only thinking about yourself, you know? And it's funny because I'm sure you guys can think of someone where this has happened to. I mean, can you, I mean, do any of you guys know like bitter people that are just like not a joy to be around because they like have so much like anger and bitterness towards people or, you know, a certain person, you know, I mean, it kills. It really is not good. So guys, if you guys ever have any hurt, any hurt with anyone, Deal with it like, before it gets worse. Like, just deal with the hurt, um, you know. Or if you've been hurt, you know, forgive in your heart and and talk about it, you know. Like, be mature about it and just handle it the right way. Because if you don't, it can be so destructive. And, and I definitely don't want that to happen to any of you. Um, so, yeah. Um, let me think. Okay, let's just go to the next one. Okay, commitment. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Um, do I have a quote after that? Yeah, okay. Cord that binds me to Christ also binds me to my brother, and I can't break one without breaking the other. Um, yeah. When we as believers are rooted and grounded in love and commitment to each other, and ultimately to Jesus, <laughs> um, the miracle of fellowship happens. You know, there has to be a level of commitment. You know, and I'm sure you guys understand that with your small groups. You know, you guys probably have a core of your small group where they always come. You've grown really close to them because you guys have seen each other probably more than once a week. And you guys are growing through learning about Jesus together. There's that inner circle, you know, of people. And then you have some people who, like, aren't as committed to the group. You know, they come every once in a while. They don't really share much. Um, you know, they're kind of to themselves. And you just don't grow close to them, you know. And you don't grow in that fellowship that, that is happening in the inner circle because there's not that level of commitment, you know. And it, it's just a fact, you know. Like, you have to be committed to one another to just grow together in Christ. Like, that just 
is how it works, you know? Um, and so I know, um, yeah, I know it might be hard to communicate that, and some, sometimes it's better to be shown and then talked about, but you um, need to make sure that your small group values commitment and like is committed to, to one another. You know, like we are a group of people who are leaning on each other in pursuit of Christ, you know? And um, that can only happen when they feel like, um, like they have a place, you know, that they, they are valuable to the group, you know, that they have, without them, it's like, if, you know, have you ever like, I don't know, been in a small group and the person that's always there misses once and you're like, this is weird, you know, like, where's this person? They're always here, you know? Um, you know, it's because like, everyone has a place, you know, in the group. It's not just about the small group leader or about a couple people, everyone brings value, you know, and you need to tell people that, you know, people need to know that. Um, also, another thing that I think helps commitment is vulnerability. So like, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So you guys need to lead with vulnerability. Um, you know, yeah, definitely like, yeah, share, be vulnerable with them, you know, share about what, what God has brought you through, you know, share with them stories, um, things about your family, you know, um, and that when they hear that one person or two people are opening up, it'll give them permission to open up as well. You know, it's kind of like opening the floodgates, you know, it's like, oh, I can be vulnerable too, you know, and, and then everyone kind of follows suit, you know, but it takes like one or two people at first to start it and then it happens. And I feel like vulnerability also is beautiful because it's like you're trusting one another with you know, precious information, you know, about your life. And when you guys go through that vulnerability and people open up and become vulnerable, then they feel like they're kind of tethered to the group, you know? They're like, oh, I shared this, these things with these girls, and if I'm going to work through this, I have to come back because they know what I'm going through, you know? And so the more vulnerability there is, the healthier the commitment will be. It's just, yeah, what I've seen happen. Um, yeah, and I mean, I would just take a moment to, like, look at y'all's commitment level, you know, and, like, think about, like, what, what makes you committed, you know, what, what is the reason that you're committed and you're bought in, you know, what was the moment that, <laughs> that you valued that commitment, and, I mean, commitment is uh, such a big deal because the world doesn't understand commitment a lot, you know? Like marriage, for example, like people think like, oh, you know, I'm married, but when I'm not happy anymore, then I'll just move on. It's like, yikes, you know? Like, no, you're in a commitment of marriage, which means for better or worse, for richer or poor, you know, till death do us part, you know? And I mean, I know this is a small group, but in a sense, you have to kind of take those vows, you know, for better or worse, for richer or poor, till death do us part, will I let you live a stupid life, you know, like, will I be with you, you know, and like help you through this year, you know, but like, it, it is in a sense like vows, you know, it's like you're taking vows to one another in the sense of like, I'm committing to helping you and to walking with you in Christ. Um, yes. Okay, let me go to the next one. So those are four C's. So I have some maxims that kind of go with um, what we're talking about, and these are just little, like, high alpha convictions that we've kind of come up with. If you want a friend, be a friend. Be a friend. 
It'll help you get friends. Um, love believes the best. Man, that's like so true. Like believe the best in people. Like whenever, um, you know, whenever you meet people, no matter how close or far they are from the Lord, you know, call out the godly characteristics in them. Be like, man, I love how kind you are to everyone. That's so awesome. You know, like, and, and believe, put, put life into that, like believe in that. Um, love and laughter plow hard hearts, which is like so true. I don't know if you guys have like met people who are like really hard hearted, but then they start having fun and then you like, they like let their guard down and you're like, oh, seeing different side of you, you know? Um, and that's so true, like fill your small group with love and laughter. Like, man, do it. Don't take yourself too seriously. Like just, yeah, have a lot of love and laughter. Community speaks louder than arguments. Like we definitely don't want your small group to just be a ton of arguing or like debating or anything because that's not community. Community is, has a love aspect to it. And so, yeah, definitely um, make sure there's more community time than debate time. <laughs> um, people usually forget what you say, but they will always remember how you treat them. And this is so important because I think a lot of times as small group leaders, we, I don't know, we tend to like put so much emphasis on the teaching part. And of course the teaching part is important. Like it's definitely important. But um, I mean, I'm thinking back when I was in small group, I don't remember many of the lessons that Amanda gave. I mean, I might remember, remember like a couple, but it, what I remember is like, <coughs> I don't know, like the feelings or like the, you know, the way we spent time together. Like I remember, you know, just me riding in the car with her and going somewhere, like, or the conversations we had, like, you know, just walking to class, like, I don't know, it was just, I mean, we just, she just treated me so well and invited me into her life, and that's what spoke to me more than even her words, you know, and so, man, like, just treat them as best as you can, and they'll remember that forever. Uh, most people belong before they believe. Um... And I feel like that's most often true. Might not be like 100%, but most often that's what happens is like people get into this community, they see how awesome it is to like be in a godly community where people like love one another and there's no like quarreling or like drama. It's like, you know, we're all like loving each other right. And, um, and people have to see that before they actually believe in God's kingdom, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's important too. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, so these are, I'm going to get real practical now. Um, what you need to fight for. So you have these three communities that are in outposts that you will need to fight for. First, obviously, a small group community. You'll obviously be doing that um, right off the bat. Resource group community. Um, I know you guys haven't experienced that yet, but resource group community is so so important because you cannot be a successful small group leader like on your own <laughs> you just can't like you need help you know you need need help and you need wisdom and you need um you need to be loved yourself you know <laughs> you're not just at this point where you're like okay you're good you know peace out but it's you know, resource group is a time where you it can experience this sweet fellowship, you know, that you're experiencing right now in small group. You know, um, resource group, yeah, is so important because they're going through the same things with you. So there's a sweet 
connection there, you know, because y'all are all at the doing the same things, caring about the same things. And um, man, like for example, resource group has been so sweet this year because we all just really love and care about one another. And it's, I, I've seen it because our resource group is so healthy, it makes all of the small groups healthy just because they're so inspired and so excited. And, and because resource group is so tight, they haven't once this year felt like drained or like it was a task to be a small group leader. You know, and, and when you're alone doing it by yourself, of course it's gonna feel like a task, you know? But when you are with a group of girls who like love it and are spurring you on, that's another one another scripture. Spur one another to love and good deeds. <laughs> um, you know, but when you're spurring on one another, um, you know, this that creates like just so much healthiness in your small group. And then the larger outpost community. And I mean, this is obviously so important, um, you know, for your girls to have friends and for you to have friends, you know, it's not just your small group. It's like the other guys and girls in this group. Um, and also, you know, you want your small group to not see that, oh, it's not just my small group that's doing this, but everyone, it, it, like they're part of such a bigger picture, you know, than just the small group once a week. It's, it's so much bigger and they need to see that. That's why large group is so important. That's one of the values of large group is because people get to see the army family feel, you know, in large group. And so you definitely want to try to get your small group um, to be a part of the larger outpost community because, you know, in the beginning when you meet freshmen, they need friends, you know, and of course you want to be their friend and you want your small group people to be your friend, but it's so important to make the larger outpost community their friends as well. I just feel like that's so important. Okay. <coughs> okay. So fall semester will start and you guys will have this kind of like natural flow that'll happen. And um, these are the three R's, you know, and I feel like there's always like kind of a focus that happens through the semester. So um, I'll kind of go through these focuses and how the flow will go. So we can go to the first one. So build relationships. Um, so that this is like the first thing you're gonna do, you know, like when you go on campus is you're gonna be like, okay, I need to find people, I need to invite them to stuff, and we need to have a ton of fun, and they need to like like me and you know like like want to hang out with me, and so you're kind of like, okay, let's just do as much as we can and have as much fun as we can, and it's important, you know, it's important, like they they want to feel like welcome, they want to feel like they have a place in the community. They want to enjoy their time, obviously. And so you want to focus your first part of your semester on building relationships. Even when you start having small groups, make your small groups very relationally focused. You know, like share one another's testimonies or stories, you know, or, um, you know, just do fun things. You know, you can just go bowling or, you know, yeah. go get ice cream and, you know, do fun prank people's houses, you know, like do stuff like that, you know, it's fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's why guys, it's so important to do as much of the Welcome Week events and Outpost events for the first week. Like our, our staff is just committed to helping you do this like as easy as you can. You know, that's why we're always gonna have things going on throughout the week. We're always going to have things to invite you to for the first couple, three weeks, you know, because it's so, it's just so important to tie down these relationships that you're making. So please, like, I'm already going to warn you, like, make your, um, you know, schedule, like, if you work, 
like as open as you can for these first couple weeks because it's just so important to be available and to spend as much time as you can um, strengthening these relationships. Um, yes, use your resource members for help. You know, we have those cohorts in resource and so those are going to help you so much. Um, you know, like if there's something on a Friday, if it's Friday night and you, this girl you're trying to hang out with all of a sudden is like, I don't have any plans for Friday night. And you're like, okay, what do we do on Friday night? You know, you call your resource girls and you're like, what are you doing? And maybe someone's like, oh, I'm doing a game night with these girls I met. I'm like, okay, I'm coming over with my girl, you know, and, and then there you go, you know. Or if your other resource girls don't have anything planned, then you guys can plan something together, you know. And so use your resource group, especially in this beginning time. Um, also meet their needs. What did you need as a freshman, you know? Did you need to know where to go on campus, <laughs> you know? Or did you need rides to the grocery store? Or did, um, you know, one of my girls, I think, made a list of, like, cool places to go in Fort Collins and, like, pass them out in the dorms or something. You know, like, think of ways to meet freshmen's needs, you know? Or, like, take out their trash, you know? We had one small group that went door to door and picked up people's trash. You know, and that's another way you can meet or serve your friends. So do that. Uh, yeah, make memories. Okay, so after you do that, you're going to build a devotional life together. Um, and a lot of times you might think, oh, oh diva life, that's just me and God. But you can invite your girls into your devotional life. And, man, it, yeah, it's so important for them to learn how to spend time with Jesus. Um, Amanda did that for me, my small group leader, and... I learned so much from that. So um, invite them into your devotional life, pray together, read the Bible together outside of small group, you know, um, you know, make the Bible be like the biggest deal to you, you know, and then that'll rub off on them. Um, find time to read together. Talk about what God is teaching you every time you're with them. Do that. Like anytime you hang out with them, be like, you know, they'll be like, how's your day? And I'll be like, you can be like, oh, it's so good. I read this thing in the Bible today. It's like blowing my mind, you know. Isn't that crazy? What do you think about that? You know, you can do that. Or, um, <laughs> you know, like they're asking for your advice, and you're like, well, the Bible says this. And, like, what do you think about that? You know, like you can do that so easily. Um, and, yeah, always have good questions to ask, you know. Even when you're having, like, a one-on-one -on -one or just hanging out with them, just have good questions that are um, going to provoke their mind to think about Jesus. Like, more and more and more. Yeah. Cool. Responsibility. So this is, like, the latter part of the semester. You know, they, you have a relationship with them. They're starting to learn about Jesus or how to spend time with Jesus. Um, and then you can kind of get to this part. Um, so go out and pray for people together. You know, like, the best way you can learn, you can teach them how to really um, care about God's people is by going out and doing it with them and praying for other people. Serve other small groups. This is such a great, you know, find like, you know, a, a small group in your resource and make them dinner, you know, for their small group and just do that. Or um, find a guy's small group and make them dinner because they usually don't know how to make dinner. <laughs> you know, serve other small groups. Um, um, yeah, also have them help a small group, you know, after they've been around for a while, be like, hey, do you think you can make something and bring it to small group? Or, hey, do you think we could have, you know, small group at your apartment or at your dorm, you know, would that be okay? And slowly, like, give them, like, little things to do, you know, have them share a little bit about, 
Like, if you hung out with them that week before and they, like, learned something really awesome about the Lord, be like, hey, can you share that at small group this week? Because that was amazing. And have them share. And you're slowly giving them responsibility. So, yeah. That's it. Um, any questions? What is, like, what is, um, like, sharing your emotional life like, for you? Yeah. So, honestly, like, a lot of good um, conversations, like, just in spending time together, you know, like, I mean, um, like, my small group leader always talked about the Lord. Like, that was just, like, something. And, I mean, after a while, I was like, how do you get all this wisdom? You know, like, how do you, like, always have something to talk about? Because, like, you know, I was like, I don't know what to say, you know? Um, and then, you know, I remember when she was like, hey, every Monday I read at this place on campus, like, if you want to join me. And I was like, okay. And then I started going every week, and we did that for, like, a year and a half, you know? And, um, you know, she would always have prayer nights with her uh, roommates. And then... After a while, she like invited me to one, and I was like so honored. I was like, yes, you know, of course, you know. And, um, and it was like such a big deal to me. And it was so cool hearing them pray because, you know, they all like haven't prayed. I, I was just a new Christian, didn't know how to pray, and they like would pray, and I'd be like learning so much like how they pray just by hearing them and being around them. Um, and so just like stuff like that, I think is good. Um, How many of you have like really enjoyed the practicals even though they've been maybe stretching or difficult? Like have they have they helped? Have they been stretching and growing you? Awesome. This is amazing because what you're doing right now really does practically affect how you lead smarter. It really does. Like being able to strike up these conversations and not be afraid and, and just put them to death. <laughs> The fear of what people think about you, like that's that's the key to success in yeah. Saturday. So tonight, uh, for this next session, I'm speaking on uh, the subject is called the heart for the lost, and so this is a, a conviction that Outpost is very serious about. Um, so we're going to look at what does it mean to have a heart for the lost, but really more specifically, I want this to be very practical. So I'm just going to give you practical advice of my experience in dealing with lost people. Also, I I am an expert on being lost because I was lost once and so I know it I know what it feels like I know what my mindset was and what it used to be like and so really out of that experience um, I want to give you as much wisdom as I can to help prepare you uh, for the, the the people that you're going to encounter on campus honestly lost people are when you become a believer usually what tends to happen is that lost people are very difficult to be around like, honestly, of all the demographics on campus, the one I naturally would most want to be around are other believers. That's, that's, and that's good. That's actually the way it should be. Why? Because other believers love Jesus, and I love Jesus. And so when we're together and we're loving Jesus, it's, it, everything's great. <laughs> now, for me, being around lost people, it, it's uncomfortable. 
it's difficult, it's challenging. Um, you know, Eric and I have been reaching out uh, to our neighbors uh, that live across the street and we'll go in their house and sit with them. And it's like the most unhospitable environment, <laughs> you know, like they just open the door and like they don't even really acknowledge that we're there. And we'll go sit down and they're just vegging out in front of the TV. And you know, just their lifestyles, like, it's, it's, it's like, man, I, I remember what it used to be like because I used to be there, but it's like, just they're just completely wasting their lives. And just being in that environment for like an hour is actually kind of taxing. Um, and so we need some encouragement here, right, as believers to get out there and be with the lost. Like, you're going to need to be encouraged. And so my goal tonight is to encourage you to that. Uh, one thing that's so interesting about Jesus is that he was criticized. This is a criticism. This wasn't something that he said. A criticism against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. It says in Matthew 11, verse 19, the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking about himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But, Jesus says, wisdom is proved right by her children or by her deeds. Okay. So Jesus was criticized. One of the things that was leveled against him as a negative was that he actually spent time eating and dining with sinners, that he actually was friends with them. And this was taboo. In his time, the religious culture separated or distanced itself from those who were not religious. Okay? And it wrongly divided sinners along the lines of those that claimed to know God and those that didn't. So that there's a certain type of sinner that Jesus spent time with, actually. It wasn't just, it wasn't that Jesus spent time with the whole public. There was a certain type of person that he was criticized of being around. And so I want to let you know that all lost people are not <laughs> equally lost, right? There are different degrees of lostness, if you will. And so if I were to make a scale of, of like who, this side is like as lost as a person can get, and then here we have, you know, salvation, and we have this scale. There, there are different degrees of how far a person is in their heart from God, or how hard a heart is from God. And the thing is, in Jesus' day, people wrongly assumed that at the very end of the spectrum were tax collectors <laughs> and sinners, which was a euphemism for prostitutes, okay? These were Jesus' friends. And then they wrongly thought as well that the religious leaders had it right. And Jesus shows that actually those who were closest to entering the kingdom were on this side. And those who were furthest were actually over here. Jesus completely flipped it. And we can actually make that mistake as well. Um, and so it really as you become a small group leader, you'll learn this. You'll get some good trial and error. You'll learn that that the people who actually are closest to God are not always those who grew up in the church. Honestly, sometimes the, the hardest hearts you'll encounter are church kids. Okay, just gonna, not all, not all. Don't label, don't make the mistake of labeling all church kids as hard hearted. That's not true. Um, of course, many of you were church kids. Yeah! You know, following Jesus, yeah, right? Come on, I love that. That's the way it should be. My, I want my kids to be church kids. Right. But I want them to do it the right way. Yeah, that's right. Now, when it's done the wrong way, you know why? You know why this is? Why the hardest-hearted people would actually be those who were around Jesus the most? 
It's because we all have uh, different degrees of what the Bible calls light or revelation about Jesus. And the more revelation you have about Jesus that you reject, the harder your heart becomes. So the people that actually knew Jesus the least, the sinners and tax collectors, were closest to the kingdom. So it is in our day, good news, those people that the world or even the church would deem as lost beyond salvation, a lot of times are actually closer to knowing Jesus than you think. Like the partiers and, and the people that are involved in just very immoral lifestyles who didn't grow up in church and have a very small revelation of who Jesus is that they're sinning against are actually closer to knowing him than some church kids. Okay? And so we see Jesus making this distinction. What's interesting is that Jesus, he ate with sinners. He didn't just invite them to the synagogue to hear him preach. <laughs> right? He didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be at the local synagogue on, on Saturday. Why don't you stop by, hear what I've got to say. I've got some really encouraging things. I'm going to be teaching from, from the scriptures. No, he ate with them. He, he got in their world. See, Jesus loves, loves sinners. And there's a certain group of sinners that he really loves. And it's those who actually don't know that much. It's, it's that group, that category that, that they're lost, but that they're, not, they're not so lost like we would think. And so it's actually possible to have a friendship with a lost person. It's actually possible to be friends with somebody who is lost. But I'm telling you right now that the person that you really want to be going for, the lost kid that you want to be winning to Jesus, is the kid who doesn't have a great deal of revelation that he's sinning against or she's sinning against. That person, you might end up spending years trying to convince them to come back to the Lord and they may never do it. So what I'm encouraging you to do, and this is, this is advice that was given to me uh, by our national director, or excuse me, it was given to Eric actually, and this is something we've been hearing a lot lately, is go for low-hanging fruit. Okay, go for the ones that are close, close to knowing Jesus. Go for the lost that are close. Okay, I don't want you to get hung up on a reaching out to a group of people that are just, they're never going to get it in a year. You could spend your whole year next year trying to build a small group around people that are over on this side of the spectrum. When there are plenty of people, lots of people, in fact, I would say the majority are actually closer to salvation than we think on campus. Okay? And so I want you to be discerning in, in who, the lost person that you're reaching out to. That's just practical. Now, when you're reaching out to a lost person, here's some ways that you can discern. Is this person close to Jesus? Um, there will actually be lost people that you encounter who seem almost humble. Okay? I, I, I know them. That there's almost a softness in them. Okay? Going back to our, our neighbors across the street, the Lord has led us specifically to one individual in that house. There's four guys that live there. There's one guy in particular. Okay, this is interesting. So we, we, the Holy Spirit just led me over there to this house one night. And I went in there, and I was, he was alone. It's this guy named Ryan. And uh, Ryan was by himself, and so I knew that this was like a God-ordained moment because none of his roommates were there, and I began sharing with him about the gospel, and he was, very, he, he was telling me like God had been dealing with him in his heart, and he was very receptive to what we had to say. Well, about a few weeks later, Ryan comes over to my house, knocks on the door, and says, hey, 
my roommates and I were talking, and they said they don't want you coming over to our house anymore. <laughs> Which is funny that they sent him over to do that. But then he said, I would, I, but I don't feel like they do. I want to still spend time with you. Okay, that's what I mean by looking for low-hanging fruit. Like, if we're going to win that house to Jesus, it's actually going to be through Ryan. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's the kind of person I want you to go for. Okay, friendship is a turning point in your relationship with a lost person. Friendship means they reciprocate. See, when you meet people on campus next fall, you're going to be giving and giving and pouring into them, and there may be very little response at first. But what you're going to be looking for throughout the fall semester is those who begin to reciprocate. When they reach out back to you and ask you to hang out, that's a huge turning point in your relationship. Because up until that point, it's probably, if you were to look at your text message stream, it would be like all you <laughs> initiating every single time. But then when they finally initiate this, they tell you they want to hang out, that's a big deal. Uh, when I, the, the one guy that we won to the Lord our first year in Russia, I knew. I was certainty that he was closer than anyone to knowing Jesus because around Christmas time, see, we'd been reaching out to all sorts of Russian students, and it was hard to tell which ones were going to get it, which ones weren't. And this guy, he seemed actually a little bit further than most. He was an atheist. Um, you just grown up as an atheist in that culture. And he, at Christmas time, he gave me a gift. And I knew, I knew there was a turning point in our relationship. That meant that he was on the verge of knowing Jesus. And so I want to encourage you with that truth that you need to be looking for those who are beginning to reciprocate. You want to look for that. That's a huge deal. Now, I want to inform you, the fact is that there's no magic formula for winning someone to Jesus. Like, I can't get up here and write down, like, the three things that you need to tell every person and they'll automatically repent and believe in Christ. Isn't that interesting? If you read the Gospels, there's very little how-to. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't read like an instruction manual. It doesn't. It's just not like a step-by-step -step guide to like how to win someone to Jesus. You won't find it there. And I was talking to Eric about this fact the other day, and I was like, man, isn't that, isn't that just interesting that we, we long for step-by-step -step guides, but Jesus doesn't give them? Yeah. You know why that is? First of all, every... Individual lost person requires an individually tailored approach to winning them to Jesus. None of us in this room were won to Jesus in the exact same way. The principles behind what worked in our lives may be the same, but the, the actual method that, that brought us each to Jesus is as different as we all are in this room. Okay? And so that's going to be the case with every single person that you encounter. No one method is going to just fit all. Otherwise, we'd build a robot and we put it on the plaza and like have it, you know, preaching the gospel 24 hours a day. Like, if, if that were the case, and like it would like spit out tracks, you know, and like yeah. we'd be like, you know, that's good. We don't, we're, we're outreach is done. We don't need to get out there. We can enjoy ourselves. <laughs> if that were the case, but it's not, right? We have to individually communicate the gospel to individuals. Um, secondly, I do not ever want to give you a method that allows you not to rely on the Holy Spirit. One, yeah, that's great. Okay? Relying on the Holy Spirit is the only way someone comes to know Jesus. This is why new believers sometimes are better at winning lost people to Christ than people who have been following Jesus for a long time. Because new believers know they don't know enough 
They don't think that they know enough to, 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 to have the, the knowledge in themselves, so they, they cry out to God. You know, I was reading a, a popular evangelist, this guy, I love him. Uh, he has an amazing book called Street University. His name's Arthur Blessed. And in this book, he says, we love sending out the new believers into the streets. He did street ministry in, like, the worst parts of the United States, you know, like, just, like, the, scum, the scummiest parts of the U.S., and he said, we love sending out the new believers because they would get in these situations where an atheist would immediately like, just confront them and they'd be like, they just start crying out to God because they didn't know anything else to do. And then the atheist would get saved. And he's like, that's, that's the way it sh- always should be, right? We should never stop depending on the Holy Spirit. And although you're going to learn how to do things better, you're going to learn how to, over time, yeah, you're going to learn how to approach lost people better and better and how to win them to Jesus. That should happen. But the thing is, you should never stop depending on the Holy Spirit. Next, you have to understand Romans 1 and 2. Okay, I encourage you to all read that and be well-versed in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Romans. Why? Because there is the most accurate, blatant, explicit description of sin found anywhere in Scripture. Paul lays it out so vividly. He is, he's graphic in his description of it, and he gives us great, great insight into what sin is and what it's not. Sin is, first of all, worse than we like to think or acknowledge. When you read that description of sin, it is not pretty. It doesn't put or cast humanity in a favorable light in any way. Right? It's just very blatantly like they all knew the truth, Yet they all turned their backs on it, disobeyed it. God gave them over to their, their sinful lusts. And it you know, just goes on and on, just talking about the, the sexual depravity that ensued when people rejected who God is. And they, they stopped thanking God. They stopped being grateful to Him. And it just keeps going, how none is good, no, not one. And, and that's, that truth, like we have, to, we have to know that in our hearts. Sin is worse than we like to all think. It's deliberate, it's cruel. You know, it, it, we, need to, we need to not get um, confused that sin is somehow a mistake. Because lost people are going to use that excuse every time. It's just a mistake. Like, like why would you condemn me? I, I can't help it. I can't help the way I am, is what they'll say. Romans 1 and 2 cuts right across that idea. It completely cuts that excuse in half. It says you are the way you are because you chose to be that way. That's biblical. That's, that's biblical revelation that, that, that people are running away from. Okay, it says all men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Meaning suppress is like this graphic verb in Greek meaning to drown something, to drown someone. It's a voice that's being drowned. Held underwater, strangled beneath the surface. I mean, it's, it's just that graphic. That's what happens when we sin and we don't repent. You, you take your conscience and you hold it underwater. Silence that voice. Right? That's what Romans says we're alive. And that's, that's true of every lost person. Okay? <clears throat> I, I have a friend who uh, is part of Grace, uh, the Christian ministry here on campus. And him and I go way back to our freshman year when we were both lost. And we reconnected, actually, years later when he was on staff with Grace and I was on staff with Outpost, and we both had this amazing, shocking moment of like, how in the world did you get where you are now? And because we had lost touch, you know, over the intervening years, and we both came to faith in, in Christ through campus ministry. 
It was him for him. It was through grace. For me, it's through outpost. And so we were sharing, and, and we've kept up this friendship. And him and I were talking recently about evangelism on campus. I always like to keep in touch with how they're doing. And he said, you know, Brent, the thing I'm convinced of more than anything is that everyone knows the truth. Like, everyone knows. He is not, he, I mean, he meets probably, um, on average, I mean, 30, 40 students a day, every day, five days a week, all year on campus. And he's convinced that everyone, there's not one person that's come across his path that just didn't know. Like, everyone knows. You, you have to be confident in the truth of God's word because there's going to be excuses and smoke screens thrown at your way. And if you're not careful, you might begin to agree with them and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess, I guess you don't know enough. Let me help you understand more. When the, the truth is they don't need to know more. They just need to obey what they already know. And that's what you're calling them to. Okay. Uh, you know, also, um, how many of you heard of Robbie Zacharias? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I encourage you all to check out his sermon to the Mormon Tabernacle in Salt Lake City, Utah. One of only two Christians in the history of the Mormon church to be invited to speak there. The other was D.L. Moody. Okay, it's on YouTube. This is an incredible sermon. If you want to find out how do you met, how, like, he's invited as like a guest of honor to come speak, and the whole sermon is about sin. <laughs> it was powerful. It is so powerful when you watch this. And so what Robbie does is, is he, he knows exactly what I'm telling you tonight. Romans 1 and 2. That's his whole sermon. And the thing is, he talks about how like, Paul, in order to write Romans 1 and 2, Paul must have known from intimate first-hand experience of what it meant to be a sinner. Okay, and so what I'm, when I deal with lost people, I'm constantly drawing from my experience as being a former lost person. I know very, very vividly what it's like to be lost better than anyone because I once was. And, and honestly, to me, my sins are so great that I can say, like Paul, like, I'm, I'm one of the worst. I really am. I was one of the worst kind of sinners you could meet. And so because of that knowledge, that firsthand knowledge, I'm able to draw from that. And, and I come to people in a place of brokenness, humility. You know, I'm not, I'm not condemning people when I present this truth to them. But I am very keenly aware of the truth. Because I know. I know what it was like to think like that. I know the excuses. I know the mindsets. I, I've been there, done that. And so I want you all, like, some of you have different experiences with that. Some of you were saved. Um, recently, and you have that you have that distinction of like that was my lostness season, and now I'm with Christ. Others of you don't have that season, and I'm, let me tell you something: if you if you've been following Jesus faithfully your whole life, you are just as effective at reaching lost people as those who have a past. Okay, you are just as effective, just as equipped and called to reach the lost. Okay, now the thing is, you're going to have to know Romans one and two. You just, you got to be convinced that that thing is true. You've got to rely on the truth. It requires faith, actually. Isn't that interesting? Okay, moving on. You must know that every person is a spirit, a soul, and a body. You must know the tripartite makeup of every single individual that you encounter. Scott Martin talks about this incredible story. It was a family member of his who suffered from uh, some kind of catastrophic brain injury. And this man was reduced to a vegetated state. 
He was in the hospital. His family, his wife left him. His, his kids took off with the wife. Um, everyone basically abandoned. He was a pastor. He lost his church, obviously. Couldn't continue ministering. He was just a vegetable being kept alive. And Scott tells a story about how they, they had someone that would go visit him in the hospital. And while he was a vegetable, he would have tears running down his cheeks and he would be speaking in tongues. You see, because the fact is that he wasn't just a brain. So when the brain was taken out of his life, the spirit still was there. He was still in communion with Jesus. And they could see it on his face. They could see, like, he would literally just be crying in the presence of Jesus, speaking in tongues. Because you speak, and you speak tongues with your spirit. And so what's amazing is that you've got to understand that, that people are not just a mind. They're not just an intellect that you're battling their ideas. I, I mentioned the kid that I met on the plaza recently who had this bitterness. And he had all sorts of arguments for why he wasn't a Christian. And I could have gone down that long, draining road of like trying to convince him you know, that those things weren't true. And like, you know, the church actually isn't that bad, like he says it is. But what I had to discern was what was he really saying? You have to discern what, what's, the, what's the thing that people are actually saying. Don't just interact with people on the surface. You have the Holy Spirit who's going to give you supernatural insight into what people are actually saying. And when, what the Holy Spirit showed me, what I could just tell right off the bat, was this guy's been hurt, and he's reacting out of that hurt. So I'm not going to minister to his mind, because that would be fruitless. I'm going to speak to his spirit. And I told him, it is very evident to me that you have been hurt in the past. And Jesus wants to heal you. That's how I ministered to him. And with, I mean, he left the conversation. I don't know. He, he, I don't know if he was any closer to Christ, but he had tears in his eyes when I began telling him that. I knew I was affecting a part of him that I would never have reached if it was just dealing with the intellect. Does that make sense? You need to deal with the spirit. You need to deal with the body sometimes. Right? Sometimes a, a supernatural healing needs to take place in a person's body. There are three ways that you can wake up someone who is lost. You know, being lost is also equated in the Bible to being asleep. And when you wake up someone to the truth, when someone is awakened to Christ, it's like they've been sleeping all these years and they suddenly come to themselves and begin to realize the reality of, of who God is. Okay? There are three ways that happens. One is what Ileana just talked about in the first hour community. This is our bread and butter in Chi Alpha. Someone who is lost gets involved in the community. We, we win them into the community first. They belong and they begin to believe. Right? Now that way, that road is awesome. And I've seen it work in countless lives and we need to continue pursuing that. Um, but it's a long road. It's, 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 a, it's a long game for someone to get to that point. You know, When someone starts asking the question, what makes you guys different from me? Why are these people so different? They're, they're well on their way to knowing Jesus, but a lot of times that question doesn't happen for a semester or two. The other way that someone wakes up is crisis. This is, uh, you know, Duncan, he just shared on, at Outpost on Thursday, his testimony is crisis. He, his girlfriend <laughs> broke up with him uh, by cheating on him, and so he was, you know, as an 18-year-old, that's a crisis. And so, <laughs> as, as much as any. And he just called out to God in that moment. Crisis humbles people. 
it wakes people up. You know, I've, I've seen uh, in my own family, in Ileana's family, uh, the effect of Ileana's grandmother passing away. The death brings people face to face with reality. Yeah. Like nothing else. You know, a car accident that someone survives. A lot of times that will wake someone up. Now that, that is even less predictable than community. <laughs> like we can't wait around and, and, and expect crisis to happen in people's lives for things to, for, to win someone to loss, or to win someone to, to Jesus. And that's why it's good news that we have this third way. Okay, what's the third way? The third way is through the Holy Spirit's power. Paul talks about how the, the Christians were won in Corinth not by persuasive words, but through the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Okay? It, that's available to us. Hallelujah. We're a Spirit-filled ministry. You're going to hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit at LTC Retreat. If that's new to you or foreign to you, that's okay. But I want, to, I want to remind you of this fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And we have this incredible power available to us, working through us in our midst. That is, that's, that's the thing that really wakes people up. And that's not dependent on a crisis nor is it actually dependent on community. You can have interactions with people on the plaza and, and lead them to Christ in a moment. Okay, that actually can happen. It has happened for us. Holy Spirit power. This was my experience. Um, I was part of the community. I didn't much care for the community. I wasn't going through a crisis in my life. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And out of nowhere, really out of nowhere, Jesus spoke to me, almost against my will. I didn't want, if God was real, I didn't want to know him. But God spoke to me. And the word of God, when it, when it comes to a person, is supernatural. That's Holy Spirit power. That, that, is a, that is a power encounter with God. And that took place in my life. That's how I know Jesus today. Nobody spoke to me in that moment. There was no evangelist leading me step by step. Although that's good. That's right. That's so good. But in my case, it, it was just me. And, it was me and the Holy Spirit. And, he, and he, he brought me to terms with what it meant to follow Jesus. Okay, so Holy Spirit encounters are, are something that are available to us and we need to be pursuing. Radical healings, words of knowledge, um, words of wisdom, you know, be prophetic words. These things that we, when we speak what God is speaking, when we say what God is saying, we have incredible power in that to wake up those who are asleep. Finally, I want to uh, just leave you with uh, something that I hope you all find this resource. I don't know if this article is available online or not. The book <clears throat> is called The Soul Winner by Charles Patton Spurgeon, but this, this article is called, um, <laughs> I love this title, How to Raise the Dead. <laughs> okay. If you, want, if you want this article, let me know after the class. I can get it to you. But basically, in this article, it's a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached. Charles Spurgeon was uh, an incredible preacher in the early 1900s. Uh, he regularly filled a church with a capacity of over 6,000. And they just experienced revival continually in this church. And so he's an amazing minister of the gospel. And his aim as a preacher, as a minister of the gospel, was to win lost people to Jesus. Like that, he said that's the, that's the Christian's chief business, is what he said. And in this incredible sermon, he describes how to raise the dead. Because that's essentially what we're doing. When we're talking about winning the loss of Jesus, you're raising the dead to life. And what that looks like, he takes the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the first person in the Bible to resurrect a dead person. 
Elijah's the first one. It's never been done before him. He's the first one who has faith to see Jesus resurrect a boy from death to life, physically. It happens. It's incredible. And it, we see in the story a pattern for us who raise the dead, if not physically, spiritually, to life. Okay? First, in the story, what's interesting is that Elijah, he, he, lay, he, takes, actually, he picks up the, the dead body and he carries it into the upper room of the house they're staying at. And then he does this really strange thing in the scriptures. He lays on the body where his hands are pressed against the boy's hands. His feet are against the boy's feet. You see the image? His mouth is to the boy's mouth. And what that symbolizes is that you, when you're dealing with lost people, first of all, you have to carry them in your arms. You have to get so close to them. You have to be so knowledgeable about them that you understand their lostness better than they do. Right? You need to understand their hang-ups for coming to Jesus so well that, that they almost become like your hang-ups. Like, like that you identify so closely with the lost person, your lost friend, that you're trying to win to Jesus, that it's as if you're laying on that body. That's good. And you're, you're, you're feeling their deadness. You have to literally feel it. It needs, it needs to be hitting your heart how lost this person is. That's the first step, okay? Secondly, it's not enough. You need to remember this. It's not enough for that body, that dead body, to just become warm. Okay? Just by laying on it, you can, you can provide some warmth. That's not life. So when we're dealing with people and dealing with their hearts, you can lead someone to experience a measure of conviction over their sin, but conviction of sin is not the same as obedience. Okay? A convicted individual is not yet saved. They're not obeying Jesus. Okay? And so we're not just looking to warm cadavers. <laughs> right? We're not just looking to like get someone a little bit closer to Jesus. We want to raise them to death. Raise them to life. Come on. Right? Raise them to the, to the dead and then raise them to life. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> so don't stop short of pushing through for that breakthrough. That's what I'm talking about. When someone is starting to be convicted of sin, and we, we've seen it again and again, they start to get convicted, they start to feel the weight of their sin. Don't stop there. Like we make that mistake so often, we think, oh, that's, hallelujah. He, you know, this guy came to a small group and he started to listen or pay attention. <laughs> this guy came to a small group and you know, he actually contributed for once. That's, that's not life. And so just as a, as a woman in labor, must continue pushing until that baby's born, it's the same for us. The church is like a woman in labor. I mean, it might seem like a strange analogy, but it's, it's very uh, fitting because what is happening in birth is, is a new life is being brought into the world. And the same exact thing is taking place when a person is born again by the Spirit. They're being born for the first time. They're spiritually being born. And we are the ones who are essentially carrying them and bringing them to full term, bringing them to delivery. Okay? So don't stop short. You need to look for that, that breakthrough. You need to be constantly like, looking for that key opportunity, that key window. I mentioned Dima before from Russia. Dima started to come to small group. He started hanging out. I knew that things were going well. We were becoming friends and close. But I was constantly 
vigilantly looking for that breakthrough window for him. Like, God, when is it going to be? When is it going to be when Dima is finally ready to pray and, and give his life to you? I was constant, I was watchful for that. Day after day, and though I didn't know the right words to say, again, I didn't have a magic formula, and I didn't know how exactly that was going to look, I was waiting for that moment. I never gave up on Dima. In fact, when the time came for him to be born again, he approached me. He said, Brent, if what is true that you said about how you know Jesus in your life, if that's true, would that be true for me also? Can I know Jesus like you do? He asked me. That was it. We prayed together, and he was born again that night. Okay. So I vividly remember that moment, and I longed for it. I waited for it. I didn't give up on that. Okay. Thirdly, prayer to raise the dead must be heaven-storming and raw. Okay. If you all know the prayer, uh, lay me down to sleep. It's like a common, like, you know, nursery rhyme kind of prayer. That, that kind of praying is not going to raise the dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now I lay me down to sleep. It's like, basically, if you read Elijah's account, he, he's, he's, he's real. When he's praying to God, he's like, God, why would, essentially, why would you do this? God, if I were in your shoes, I would raise this boy. He's, he's pretty bold. He's, he's kind of forward almost with God. That kind of praying, that, that like, I'm, I'm going to bang on heaven's gates until I get the answer... <laughs> is the kind of praying that's necessary. Elisha, when he repeats the same miracle from his discipler, Elisha does the same thing. He raises a, a young boy to life. And when Elisha is participating in this miracle, he begins pacing back and forth in the room, it says, as he's praying for this boy to come back to life. He's pacing. It's, it's like a, there's an urgency to his praying. There's a fervency to his praying. It's not just a casual, one-off, like, hey, Jesus, save Save Mark. And then that's it. <laughs> like, it's like, God, day after day, I've been, I've been imploring you, and now I'm getting more and more anxious that this breakthrough happens. And so that's really what precipitates uh, a salvation, is that kind of praying. And so expect to learn how to do that this next year. Over the course of this, uh, this summer, expect to learn how to pray like that. It's exciting and terrifying at the same time. Fourthly, Never forget the most important truth. Okay. Here's the most important truth. Only the living can raise the dead. There had to be a living body on that dead body to raise it to life. And I want to I tell you guys tonight, and I believe this is from the Holy Spirit, you are alive. You are alive. Don't ever forget that. You're alive. You have the... Most essential ingredient to, to, to winning a lost person to Jesus, you know Jesus. You are alive. And that's, that's the, the, the hardest part is already done with. Jesus won you. He won you. He won your heart. And you're with him. Okay. And so as, as living, live, new creations, we have what it takes to raise the dead. Cool? That's it for... Uh, our time, does anyone have any questions? Uh, really quick before we end tonight. Cool. Well, you guys are dismissed. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday night. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you guys at the retreat. I'll be there. So it's going to be really, really good. Cool.